0: And um, verse number fifteen, we'll read just one verse of scripture. I am hoping to uh, bring this particular study to a close, and um, and so we'll see if I can get through all of this today. Some of it will perhaps be redundant to some of you, seeing as how I dealt with some of these things in previous weeks, but. Uh, especially as I begin preparing for this morning, I just felt the need to go back over some things. And um, so I think that it's perhaps for the sake of those who have not been in some of the previous lessons. So you can stand to hear it again. Thank you to the five of you who agree. And um, the rest of you can stand to hear it again as well. So, And whether you can stand it or not, you get to since you're here. Ah, all right, all right. First Peter chapter three and verse number 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Amen. Everyone say, be ready always. I want you to say to give an answer. Now say to every man, this is, as I have said to you, I said it last week, I say again today, this is an apostolic command. This is not an option. This is not something that we can choose whether we want to obey or not. It's a command in the scripture, and so we have an obligation. To do what's necessary to be able to fulfill this passage of scripture. I said last week, and I say again, God never makes a commandment that it is impossible for us to fulfill. He doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't command things that we can't do. And if there are things he tells us to do that it's not possible humanly for us to get it done. He will give us the divine impartation to get it accomplished. But one way or the other, it can be done. Praise God. And so if the command is that we are always ready to answer every man that asks us, if that's the command, then I'm telling you, we can do it. May take a lot of effort. It may take a lot of prayer, but it can be done. Hallelujah! Praise God! And uh, and so we want to we want to continue on in this the second part of our uh, just our question and answer. And uh, I failed to give the title last week. We've been just talking about baptism, but really we've we've separated last week and this week into more of a scriptural question and answer session. And uh, so that's what we're doing as I deal with some questions that I have been asked concerning the things that I've taught over the last few weeks. Amen. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices and let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. Would you ask him specifically to impart to you the knowledge that you need to be able to fulfill his command? Let's let's talk to the Lord together, everybody, Lord. for it now. I praise you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's praise him one more time before we're seated, everybody. Come on, everybody. Let's praise him one more time. Let's praise him one more time. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated just very quickly, and I need to make it quick. Uh, Let me touch on a couple of things that we've stated in the previous lessons, and I would say to anyone here today uh, if you have missed one or more, or even all of these lessons, just stop by the sound booth. I think we have all of these recorded. Uh, I know at one point we were having some computer issues, and there were a few lessons. Um, I think on prayer that did not get recorded, uh, at the time, there were a few things, but I think we've got all of these and we will give you, um, either in thumb drive or CD or whatever, uh, give you a copy of the lessons so that you can go back and listen. And uh, what I've found, honestly, and I think I may have said this last week, but when I go to Africa and I teach these seminars what I find is there are always new people there every day. And that means that they've missed things that have been taught the day before. And so a lot of times the questions that get asked are things that I've already addressed during previous sessions. And so I can say to you today that most likely, if there are questions that have not been answered by the time that I finish this lesson today, I can almost promise you that it's somewhere in a previous lesson, it's been dealt with, it's been covered by the scripture, all right, so don't just write it off because, well, there's this issue or that issue, when you haven't heard me address uh, most likely those very issues in previous lessons, I would just encourage you to get a copy of the recordings uh, in some form and listen to it in its entirety now one of the things that we've pointed out to you we're dealing with the subject of water baptism and one of the things that we have uh, pointed out to you is that in the book of hebrews the doctrine of baptism is listed as a part of the foundation of the church now no foundational uh, uh, doctrine is is unimportant I'm, i'm putting a lot of negatives in there i hope you get what i'm saying Anything that is a part of our foundation is, by definition, important to us. Not everything is a part of our foundation. Not everything is is what we are built upon as a church. But those things we are built upon take extreme importance in the message that we preach. If the foundation is not correct, the building will not stand. And so when the apostle listed baptism as a part of the foundation, we can't afford to get this subject wrong. If we do, our foundation is wrong. Amen. Now, Ephesians 4 and 5 tells us that there's only one baptism. In fact, that's not on the list, but would you put it up there on the wall for me? I just want everybody to see that that really is in the Bible. Ephesians, that's Ephesians 4 verse 5. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So so listen, Don't don't try to convince me. That the way you do it is right, and the way I do it is right, and the way somebody else does it is right, and all of these forms of baptism are okay and acceptable. No, according to the scripture, there is only one baptism that God recognizes. Hallelujah. And so we better find the one He recognizes. Amen. We we did talk about the essentiality of baptism, spent a whole week, uh, maybe more, I don't remember now, but at least a week dealing with the essentiality of baptism. Um, We also gave you some uh, important factors that you should consider when you study the Bible. And I am seriously thinking about taking uh, a service, either a Sunday morning or a Tuesday night and teaching you um what we teach in Africa the, the the principles of Bible interpretation. Because this is something all of us need to know. Amen. We need to know how to rightly divide the scriptures. And not twist these verses to mean what we want them to mean. And I'm telling you, that's the biggest problem that we face. Is that people take a verse of scripture, they already know what they believe, and they make the scripture confirm their belief. Rather than adjusting their belief to what the scripture actually says. You follow me? And so we need to know how to properly interpret the scripture. And, and there are some things that we've talked about, such as always let scripture interpret scripture. Yeah. We don't say, well, Joel Osteen says it means this. Right. I, I sure hope you don't. Right. Um, we, we don't. We don't even determine what a verse means based on commentaries. Right. We can't always rely solely upon Bible dictionaries. Right. You know, so, l- listen, and I don't want to. I don't have enough time to get off on other subjects. But I'm going to tell you one of the most one of the, one of the most helpful tools to somebody that doesn't have a lot of Bible knowledge. One of the most helpful tools you can get is a Strong's exhaustive concordance you don't have one of those, I'd recommend you get one. You can find them fairly cheap, about $10, I think, at the bookstore. But make sure it's exhaustive. That word is important. What that means is every word in the Bible is listed there every time it appears. Now, they do have Strong's concordances that are not exhaustive. And, and if it's not exhaustive, then there may be some scriptures not found, or uh, not listed. And the thing about Strong's, you can take a word like baptize, look it up in Strong's, and he will give you every scripture where that word appears. And, and so that's a great thing. In fact, I've found, and I try to tell people, if you've got an exhaustive concordance, and you can't find the scripture you're looking for, either the scripture's not there, or you're quoting it wrong. Um, so anyhow, it's a great tool, but it can also be one of the most dangerous tools for people without any real Bible knowledge. And here's the reason why Strong's not only lists the scriptures, Strong's provides a little number there where, For instance, the word baptize, it'll give you a number. You turn to the back of Strong's, you find that number, and it gives you definitions, ways that word can be uh, interpreted, translated. The problem, the reason it's dangerous is that folks don't understand that just because there may be ten definitions there for that one word, it doesn't mean all ten of those work in that one scripture. Right. Okay. Uh, just like there are certain English words, let's take the word "love." You cannot assign the same meaning to the word "love" every time you read it in a sentence. Right? 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 If you if you do, you've got problems. Right. You say, "Well, I, I love my wife," okay, and then somebody says, "I love my dog." <laughs> And somebody says, I love Mexican food. All right. Are you understanding? When we use that word, it may be the same word, but it doesn't have the same meaning. And so you can't just take the meanings in Strong's and say, every one of these meanings applies every time that this word appears that's why i say it can be very dangerous it can be helpful but it can be very dangerous you, you need you you almost need to to really effectively use strongs you you need first of all an understanding of what i just said and and then secondly there are other tools that you really have to start getting into before strongs gives you everything it can give you all right i, I didn't get into but but i said all that to say we we can't even interpret scriptures based strictly on what Strong's says a word means. We must always make it a practice to let scripture interpret scripture. Find another verse. All right. Let scripture interpret scripture. Scripture is the only source of absolute truth. the word of God is absolutely true. There are men that I enjoy what they say. I love to hear them preach. I love to read writings of certain men, but those men are not infallible. All right. They're not infallible. They're men. And so just because a man that I respect says it, it doesn't mean that I necessarily agree. Because he's not infallible. All right, I, I don't want to mess up things and muddle people's minds. Now, I will tell you, when my pastor says something, it carries a whole lot more weight. Right. Because he's watching out for my soul, all right? Yeah. But but I, I'm just telling you, I, I'm telling you, and I, I, think, I think that I've tried to teach this church over the last 22 years just because I bring a man in, To stand behind this pulpit doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with 100% of his philosophy. Thank you for the three that agree with that. If you're not aware of that, please be aware of that. In fact, I specifically remember making statements in the past. There are times I I bring men here to help you, and there are sometimes I bring men here to help the man. Hallelujah. Now, if, if he says something I don't agree with, I'm not most likely, I mean, unless it's really major false doctrine, probably not going to jump up and correct him there. But most likely, he and I will have a conversation in private, and somewhere down the road, a week or two later, I'll be teaching on something and be able to try to correct it from the Scripture. All right? But I'm just telling you, we have to be careful. Only the Word of God is the source of absolute truth. Listen to me, saints. Listen to me. Only the word of God is a source of absolute truth. That's why when I teach, when I preach, I give you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. Is that the way I do it? I don't just stand up here and teach for an hour and give you 90 minutes of opinion and three scriptures. I want to back up everything I say with as many verses as I possibly can, because only the word of God is a source of absolute truth. All right. So we let scripture interpret scripture. We need more than one witness. Anytime we start interpreting scripture, if we take a verse of scripture and we cannot find another witness for the way we've interpreted the first one, the first one's not wrong Our interpretation is wrong okay we need out of the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established and then I've also shown you that uh, the law of first mention or the principle of first mention comes into play and that is the first time that the Bible talks about something in particular it generally gives us way more detail in that first mention and then later on Details may be left out, but it doesn't change the details given in first mention. That becomes the reference point for every other mention thereafter. All right. Uh, the example I gave was the days of creation. First time the Bible talks about God creating the world, he tells us exactly what he did on every day. We don't find that anywhere else in scripture. We find lots of references to God creating the world, but never again do we see the specific delineation of what was done on which day. The first mention gives us the details, but every other time the Bible talks about God God creating the earth, those details you're just expected to accept. God doesn't have to come along and say the same thing over and over and over. He said it once, it doesn't change. All right, these things are important. These things are important as we study the Scripture. So we we went through the Scripture. We talked about whether or not baptism was even essential. We showed you where Jesus himself said, unless you're born of the water, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said, you got to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. If Jesus said it, there's no argument. Jesus was not the only one. The apostles preached the same message. We showed you that from the scripture. We talked about the process of sprinkling or immersion, showed you that the word baptize itself means to immerse and, and that trying to sprinkle someone in baptism is not baptism at all. That's not baptism. All right. And, um, I I think the example I used last week was like somebody said, well, I'm, I'm I'm fasting, um, and I'm only eating 1,200 calories a day. Well, no, you're not fasting. You're dieting. It's a different word, all right? You're not fasting. Fasting is to do without food, not to cut back food. So we can't create our own definitions. And baptize means to immerse. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. So you don't get baptized by sprinkling. You get wet, but not baptized. You're not baptized until you've been immersed. The Bible says we are buried with him in baptism, and nobody gets buried by sprinkling dirt on them. That's not a burial. All right, so we talked about that. Then the last thing we talked about was how we get baptized. And we talked about how that the scripture shows us over and over again. And history confirms to us that baptism in the early church was always done, never saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but always done only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was used in all biblical baptism, and it was used in historical baptism until about two or three hundred years after the death of the apostles. All right, man made the change, not God. Man made the change. I want to do things God's way. How about you? So so then we got into questions. We dealt with some questions last week, and we want to we want to do that again. I talked to you about 1 Peter 3:15. It was our text. Uh we talked about that. Uh, I won't take the time to read it again, but 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 the apostle Peter gives us a command that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks, a reason of the hope that that is in us. I, I talked to you about how that particular phrase really involves two things. It is first of all that we should be able to do it and secondly that we should be willing to do it. And those two things are crucial to us. Now, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start now uh, looking at some questions. I've got uh, I've got a few minutes here, and we're going to try to take the rest of the questions that I've got down and deal with them this morning. Try to finish this up today if uh, the Lord and time permit. So let's start with the first question that I want to deal with today. Uh, now, last week, we dealt with a few things. We dealt with the thief on the cross. Uh, we dealt with... Um, The Philippian jailer, uh, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. We dealt with those things last week. This week, we want to start out with this argument that perhaps some of you have heard. And it's it's worded in different ways. Um, There are people who will tell you that when you start preaching that you have to be baptized to be saved, you are preaching salvation by works. All right. Now, by the silence, I take it some of you have never heard that argument. Uh, I hope it's not because you haven't ever talked to anybody about being baptized because it's really a fairly common argument that people want to try to tell us if you're preaching you have to be baptized then that means you're saved by your works and then they start giving you all kinds of scripture to prove we're not saved by works in other words what they're saying is they're accusing us of believing you got to get good enough to get saved and baptism's a part of that process. That's not at all what we're teaching. Now, let's look at one of their main scriptures uh, or passages. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9.
1: For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now,
0: look. Here's what they're telling us. They're telling us, uh, put verse 8 back up there if you would. They're telling us, by grace are you saved through faith. It's faith that does it. It's faith that does it. It's your faith. Because remember, what they're telling us is you just believe. You believe and you're saved. Therefore, it is faith alone. All right? That not of yourselves, he said. It is the gift of God. God just gives you this free gift because you've got faith. You believe. Therefore, you get the gift of salvation. Then verse 9 says, Not of works. Not of works. Lest lest any man should boast. Not of works. And so here they go. They're ready to prove to us baptism, they say, is a work, it's something we do. And the apostle tells us clearly we are not saved by our works. Because if you're saved by works, you have a reason to boast about having saved yourself. But it's not of works. It's by faith. Now, that's their argument, all right? Uh, I've, I've heard it said this way. Faith plus nothing minus nothing. You understand that? Just faith. That's all it is. Faith alone saves. Nothing else. You don't add anything to faith. You don't take anything away from faith. It's just faith. When you've got faith, you're saved. All right. Now, I want you to put verse eight back up there one more time, because I want you to look at this verse. They tell us that this verse proves their doctrine. Amen. See if I can find my pointer and see if it'll work for me today. All right. Now, I want you to to look at something. They tell us you are saved by faith. Everyone say, "By by faith. Now, the problem with quoting this verse to prove that you are saved by faith is that that's not what this verse says. Look at this. For by grace are you saved through faith. All right? It doesn't say here faith plus nothing minus nothing. In fact, I specifically see something that is added to faith, and that's grace. Faith alone cannot save us. If God doesn't give us grace, I don't care how much you believe. So we cannot hold to this argument of faith plus nothing, minus nothing. But even then, I want you to to notice something. That the word faith here, for by grace are you saved through faith. The problem again is definition. Because they want to define faith here as simply believing. You remember I I told you I was recently uh, somewhere where I heard a preacher get up and say, if you'll just say four words, you're saved. Just say, Jesus is my Lord. You say that, whether it's in your mind or you say it openly, that's all it takes. So in other words, you don't even have to say it. You just think it. You just think it. Think it in your mind. Jesus is my Lord. You're saved. That's it. I'm going to tell you, that's not what this word faith means. It doesn't mean that you just have come to a mental acceptance of some fact. The word faith here in the original is, is far, far deeper in its connotation and its meaning than just simple belief. It really, it really involves a deep felt conviction which motivates us to action. Okay? I think it was just a couple weeks ago that I told this story. Uh, if not, then I told it in Africa. So I don't know which one. Doesn't matter. If you heard it, laugh like you hadn't, all right? Because there are some here who haven't. So so, so anyhow, um, but... I, I do remember telling it in Africa. I just don't remember if I told it here. But I tried to explain to those men that, you know, the, the story of, of the man in the wheelbarrow trying to cross Niagara Falls. Did I tell that here a couple of weeks ago? All right. So 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 I'm seeing some heads shake, yes. I'm seeing some that are not shaking. So either you were asleep at that point and and so maybe you'll catch it this time. All right. Um but but this man had a had a a uh, a tightrope across Niagara Falls. He had a wheelbarrow and he he asked the people, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone said, no, we don't believe it. Well, he got up there and very carefully pressed his way to the other side. And, I mean, the crowd cheered. And they they just went wild. And, and so then when, when when everything died down, he said, now, he said, how many of you believe I can put a man in this wheelbarrow and push him across on this tightrope? And there were several hands that went up and people were yelling yes And uh, he said, okay, who wants to be the first? Um, Because there's a difference in saying you believe it and believing it to the point you're willing to do something about it. Now, if you're not willing to get in that wheelbarrow, you don't really believe he's going to make it. You may think it's a possibility, but you don't believe For sure, he's going to succeed. If you're convinced he's going to succeed, you don't mind getting in. You understand? That's what this kind of faith is. It's not just standing on the sidelines cheering, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. No, it's getting in the wheelbarrow. It's giving Jesus the full control of your life, even when you're looking down at the rapids below you. This kind of faith, pistos, this kind of faith is faith that moves us to obedience. So until you obey, you don't have this kind of faith. All right? That's why James said what he did. James chapter 2, verse 17. Even so, faith. Faith, that's the same word in the Greek, pistos. Even so, faith. Faith.
1: If it hath not worked, if it
0: does not have some kind of works, it's dead. It's dead. Being alone. This kind of faith is faith that requires obedience. And so, if you don't have obedience connected to it, you really have a dead faith. All right? It's, there's got to be obedience for it to be a living, working faith. Let's go on in James chapter 2. Go down to verses 23 through 26.
1: And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was impugned unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Uh-huh. You, read. See, you see then how that faith by works. I would have read that verse
0: again. You see then.
1: How that, faith, how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only.
0: You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Read on.
1: Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot
0: justified was by justified by works not just because she believed the israelites would succeed
1: when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way
0: rahab was justified because she did something about what she believed all right read on for as the body for as the body Without the, spirit, without the spirit is dead. Is dead. So, faith, so faith without, without works, works is, dead is dead also. Now, here's what's amazing. You, you all have heard me talk about 17 years old. I was on um, a radio talk show in Dallas, Texas, uh, dealing with the subject of baptism. And when I brought these verses up to the quote-unquote Bible scholar that I was debating... He said, you have just taken New Testament writings that were meant for the church and applied them to sinners. Well, isn't that interesting? Because the whole verse we're talking about was written to the church. And that's what you're doing. When you quote Ephesians, that's what you just did. When you quote Romans chapter 10, Anybody ever had them quote Romans 10 to you? Right. Man. With the mouth, confession is made. You know, if a man will confess with his mouth, believe in his heart, he's saved. They want to take Romans and they want to apply that to sinners. Say that, tell sinners how to. So you can use Romans, you can use Ephesians, but don't use James. Now, he is right. This is an epistle. Written to the church, as is Rome, uh, Romans, as is Ephesians. But the, the thing is that here he's not dealing so much with salvation as he is with the whole concept of faith. And faith is a part of our salvation. So when James explains faith to us, it's the same kind of faith, whether you're saved or you're not saved listen to me saints of god this same verse does apply to us we say i'm apostolic well if you're apostolic act like you're apostolic well i believe in holiness you believe in holiness then live holy i believe the people of god ought to worship all right then quit sitting there like a bump on a pickle I'm telling you, this verse applies, saint or sinner, I don't care who you are, it applies. This is not written specifically to tell us how to be saved, but it is written to tell us about faith. And so when you start telling me that faith means you just believe it in your mind, or you believe it in your heart, James has forever settled that issue. The kind of faith that saves us. Is faith that moves us to obedience, right? Amen. <sighs> Can you put verse twenty-four back up there again? I, I just, I just want to remember that they, they, they frame this argument as faith plus nothing minus nothing, faith alone. And read that verse for me again.:
1: You see then how that by works a man is justified and not
0: And by faith not only. by faith only. Hallelujah, there is something else required. First John chapter two and verse number four says this.
1: He says, I know
0: him. He that says, I know him, but does not do what he says, is a liar. Liar. Whoa, that's strong. Whoa, that's strong. But it's Bible. Do you believe that? You know, this is the same Bible that gives us John 3.16. In fact, it's the same writer. Same man who wrote John 3.16 also wrote 1 John 2 and 4. So if you're going to throw 1 John 2 and 4 out, you're going to have to throw out John 3.16 as well. Here's what John said. He that says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. That man's a liar. And What?
1: And the truth is not in him.
0: Now, the truth, the truth, the truth. We know thy word is truth, but we also know Jesus said, I am the way. And what? What? Jesus said, I am the truth. Mm -hmm. So if John said the truth is not in him, what's he saying? He's saying he doesn't have God. God's not living in his heart. If he says, I know God, and he does not do what God tells him to do, God is not living in his heart. Right, right, right. Whoa, that's strong. But look, John didn't make this up. John had a very good teacher. Amen. Does anybody know who John's teacher was? Don't give me that deer in the headlights. Look. Who was John's teacher? Thank you. John's teacher was Jesus himself. So whatever John believed, it's because he learned it from his teacher. So we can go and find where his teacher actually taught this same thing. John chapter 14, verse 15.
1: If you love me, keep my commandments.
0: If you love me... Hang a cross around your neck. If you love me, put a fish on the the, the trunk of your car. If you love me, wear a WWJD bracelet. Now, he didn't say any of those things, did he? He said, if you love me, do what? If you love me, do what I tell you to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, years ago, there was a popular bumper sticker that, that folks had said, said honk if you love Jesus. Problem was most of the time if you honk, you'd find out the person driving didn't love Jesus quite as much as they said they did. Because where they were telling you to go, Jesus wasn't there. huh. <laughs> Isn't that right? You pull up behind them and honk, and they get mad. Christ. What's what you told me to do? Well, Jesus didn't say honk if you love Jesus. In fact, somebody else then finally came up with another, bu- another bumper sticker, said if you love Jesus, tithe. Any old goose can honk. Well, that got Quiet. I'll tell you a lot, tithing shows a lot more uh, of your love for Jesus than honking does. Right. Hallelujah. Or as they say in Africa, hooting. It, it's amazing. You've got to learn. I mean, they're speaking English, but there's just a whole lot you've got to learn when you get over there. Yeah. Traffic lights are called robots. I'm serious. I tell you, go down here to the third robot. So, I mean, you're looking for the tin man, you know? I mean, you're trying to, okay. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. First time that they, I think we talked about this, but first time that they asked me if I wanted some biscuits, I'm, I'm thinking, well, do they have any jelly or they have any gravy? And then they come bringing me cookies. And... uh So anyhow, it's just, it's just different. It's just different. And you got to learn it. You just got to learn it. But anyhow, um, I don't know how I got on that. The fact remains that if you truly love him, you're going to do what he tells you to do. So don't try to convince me that you've got saving faith and then refuse to be baptized. Because he commanded baptism. And if you love him, you're going to keep his commandments. Now, again, if you try to say faith plus nothing, minus nothing, don't add anything to faith in order to be saved. Well, you better talk to the apostle Peter. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21. The
1: like figure whereunto even baptism doth also even, save us. Wait
0: a minute, you're reading way too fast. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth. Doth also now
1: save us.
0: Don't tell me faith alone saves. Because Peter clearly said baptism is a part of this. Hallelujah. And James said the way we get justified is by our works. Now again, I'm not teaching you're saved by your works. We're saved by his grace. But there are some works that are necessary. Right. Hey, let me tell you something. In case you hadn't figured it out, making confession with your mouth is a work. Thinking it in your mind is a work.
1: Right. right.
0: Repentance is a work. And we're justified by our works. Now, with that in mind, let's read 1 Corinthians 6.11. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some such such were, such were you used to be. He's just talked about fornicators and idolaters and adulterers, effeminate abusers of themselves with mankind, covetous thieves. I mean, he's gone through this whole list. And he says, and such were, past tense, such were some of you. You used to be like that, but something changed. And he said, here's what changed you. Read.
1: But you are washed. You are what? Washed.
0: You are what? Washed. You're washed.
1: Read. But you are justified. Wait, wait, wait. You skipped one. But you are. Sanctified.
0: Sanctified. That means to be set apart.
1: All right. But you are justified. And you are. Justified, justified in the name of the lord jesus. in the
0: name of the lord jesus and by the, spirit, and of the spirit of our god here's why i love this verse so much jesus said except a man be born of water and of Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And here's what Paul said. He said, you used to be a bunch of sinners. You're not a bunch of sinners anymore. And he said, I'm going to tell you what changed you. He said, you have been washed, sanctified, and justified by two things. The name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a birth of water and a birth of spirit. He's talking about the same thing Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, verse 5. But when Paul starts talking about that birth of water, when he starts talking about being washed, he said it needs to be done how? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. All right, all right. How much time do I have? Ooh, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. How am I going to do it? Quickly, that's how I just answer answer my own question. All right, let's go on to the next one. Let's go on to the next one. Here's one you probably don't hear as much, but there is a particular church group that really dwells on this. I mean, this is a big, big thing to them. In fact, you'll read many times, they'll quote Acts 238. I'm telling you, when I was a young man just just coming into the church, starting to understand our doctrine, uh, there was one of these churches in our town. Back then, again, one of these ancient devices called a newspaper um, that some of you young people have probably never seen except in museums. Um, The newspaper had, they, they took out a weekly ad, this church did, and they would tell you about being saved, and they would list Acts 2.38, and I thought, man, they believe what we believe. And I started finding out eventually that they didn't believe anything like what we believed. Um, they defined things differently than we do. In fact, I, I got I, I caused a bit of a rift with uh, a few folks um, because, there for a while, there was this there was this little clip that was circulating. Whoever these guys are, the duck, whoever they are, duck commanders, whatever. And, and one of these guys with his long beard says he's going to baptize someone in the name of Jesus. And so there were one God apostolic circulating this thing. Look at this. This man baptizes in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, it, it show, I'm sorry, but it shows a level of ignorance. You do know the difference between ignorance and stupidity, right? I've tried to teach you that. I'm not calling anybody stupid. Ignorance is simply the lack of information. Stupidity is the lack of ability to gain information. So I'm not saying they're stupid, but they are ignorant. Because this man happens to belong to that particular church group that quotes Acts 2.38. But the thing is, when he puts them under the water, he doesn't say in Jesus' name. But they're still thrilled because of what he said before he put them under And they believe he's baptizing in Jesus' name, and he's not. I don't know what there is to get excited about it. I I won't even get into all that, but anyhow. Uh Um, But but they teach that phrases like in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 10 and all these places where... um, In fact, I think I've got Acts 2.38 up as, uh, no, 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 I don't. I I didn't list that. We'll we'll come to those in a while. But but anyhow, they claim that all these instances in the book of Acts where they say to be baptized in the name of Jesus, they will then interpret that to mean that in the name of means by the authority of. Okay? They say it doesn't mean to actually speak the name that it just means you're using his authority. Now they said that because they believed they were the only church that was really saved. And, and so they started promoting this because they believed they were the only ones who had his authority to do it. So when they said they were baptizing in the name of Jesus, what they're really saying was I've got the authority to do this. You don't. But then they didn't care what was said when you actually went under or if anything was said. Okay. Now, what they would use as a reference point is they would say, and, and way back, some of you remember, I've talked about what really stirred up a hunger in me to get to know this doctrine was as a young boy, it was a common thing for, for one God, Jesus name preachers to be debating preachers of other denominations. And they would hold these three-night or four-night or five-night debates in, in public auditoriums. And, and the two preachers, it was a formal debate. You know, this one would get his opening statements. This one gets his opening statements. They get a five-minute speech. The next one gets a five-minute speech. They get a two-minute rebuttal. And, I mean, it, it's it's a formal debate. These things went on for several years. And when I was a young boy just coming into the church, it was a very popular thing. And there was one particular preacher that was phenomenal at it I'm just telling you he was great in fact you can you can still find some of the recordings of his debates uh, by by doing a google search they're out there and and the man amazed me I sat in absolute awe and wonder because I don't care what the other preacher told him this this oneness apostolic preacher didn't even have to think about it he just had his answer And I would watch in many of those debates, the denominal guys, even even denominations that hated one another would join up for these debates to fight against this oneness preacher. And you'd have two or three denominations sitting at one table and him sitting at the other by himself. And he'd say something, boy, I mean, they're all huddling and they're writing down there. And and then they'd get up and say something. I mean, he just had an answer. He just, he just amazed me. And, and it was sitting in those debates. I never really saw a whole lot of folks converted by them. That's why I don't do that. But what it did do is it did stir up something in me that I said, if that man can know it that well, I can too. Amen. And I started studying. All right. So it was in one of those debates that I first heard this argument. And and this was what the preacher said. He said, when you say in the name of Jesus, that means by the authority of. He said, it's like when, when a policeman chases you down and says, stop in the name of the law. Okay? So that's their argument. Everybody get that? You understand what I'm saying? When they say in the name of the law, they're not calling a specific name. They mean by the authority of. So it is the argument of this particular group and some others as well. There are other churches that's, that started adopting that as a way to try to fight the whole Jesus name movement. But, um, but, but whatever. But they, they use that then to say every scripture you find where you read in the name of Jesus, that means by his authority. And he doesn't care how, what you say, what words you use. You just have to have his authority to do it. Okay? Now, everybody understands what I'm saying. It is their claim that the phrase in the name of the Lord means by the Lord's authority. Everybody's got that? With that in mind, let's look at a particular scripture here. Let's go to Mark chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6.
1: And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. Mm For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. For
0: many shall come
1: in my name. In my
0: name. Saying.
1: I am Christ. I am Christ. And shall deceive men. Now, I want
0: to ask you a question. If in his name means by his authority, was Jesus telling us, I'm going to give these men authority to deceive you? Did that go over your head? I didn't get any response there. Did that go over your head? Did you not understand what I'm saying? Their claim is this phrase in my name means by my authority. And so if that's what it means, Jesus said, many are going to come by my authority, claim to be me, and they're going to deceive people because I'm going to give them the authority to do it. That's not what he means. Right. This phrase does not mean by his authority. And again, I don't, I don't like to get into the original Greek and, and all of that. I don't think it's necessary, but I will tell you that, that there are different words that are used in different passages. It's not the same in every passage in Acts where it says in the name of Jesus. Um, in, in some cases, it uses the preposition N, which is, which is epsilon. Uh, well, it's to transliterate E N, um, and, and that would be then translated in the name of Jesus. And in other places, it's, it is the word epi, which is E P I. Uh, it, it, and, and it's not the same word. All right. Sometimes it's N E N, the name, and sometimes it's epi, the name. Two different Greek words. One of the Greek words, N, uh, literally should be translated at the mention of the name. All right, the other one, epi, means using the name. All right, so I don't care which one you you look to, but everywhere in the New Testament where it says to baptize in the name of Jesus, in no case does it mean by his authority. But in every case, it means you got to speak that name. That name has got to be called in order for the baptism to be biblically valid. Right. All right, I'm trying to hurry. I got 20 minutes. Let's take, this is the last one, but I've got so many pages just to deal with this last one. So, so I'm going to do my best to kick it into overdrive here. Um, the the last argument, and and I have heard this. I heard it on that radio talk show way back in 1977. I've heard it many, many times uh, throughout. I've even had the questions turned in when I'm teaching in Africa. And the question, uh, it, it can be worded different ways, but it basically boils down to this. If I have to choose between what Jesus said and what Peter said, I'd rather obey Jesus than Peter. Anybody ever heard that argument? Right. Come on, let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. You've heard? Okay, I feel a little bit better about it now. There's at least an argument here that you all have, have heard. But I'd rather obey Jesus. Jesus is the one who said this. And I'd rather obey Jesus than Peter. And I've, I've had the question, as I said, asked in many different ways. Who should we follow, Jesus or Peter? All right, let's look at what the dilemma is. Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And let's read that. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this.
1: Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.
0: All right. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 38.
1: Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And he shall receive
0: the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so here is what they see as a dilemma. Jesus said, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Peter said, in the name of Jesus. So which one's more important, Jesus or Peter? So I'm going to follow Jesus. That's their argument. Now I'm going to tell you, anybody that makes that argument, again, is showing a great degree of biblical ignorance. Not stupidity, but ignorance. All right? All right. Do you really believe that Peter disobeyed Jesus? Do you really think that at the crucial moment, in fact, first mentioned, after the beginning of the church, the birth of the church took place on the day of Pentecost. Nobody saved before Pente- Pentecost is saved in the church age. It all begins at Pentecost. So at Pentecost, the first time sinners ask how to be saved, Peter responds, be baptized in Jesus' name. Do you really think that at that crucial moment, Peter got it wrong? That's a big claim, and that's a dangerous claim. I'm here to tell you Peter did not disobey Jesus. Peter obeyed him. All right, let's do it again. Come here, Josh. Quickly, quickly, quickly. You're not moving fast enough. Come on. You don't have all that hair holding you down today, so you should be able to move faster. All right. Are you ready for this? All right. All right. Look, here's what I want you to do. All right. Stand on your head. head. Well, he looked at me really crazy there for a minute. He was... Weren't ready for that one. I just thought I'd throw you a curveball there. All right. So let's try it again. Stand on your head. Stand on your head. Did he obey me? All right, let's try it again. Stand on your head.
1: Stand on your
0: head. Did he obey me? Thank you. What did he do? He just repeated me. There is a difference between repetition and obedience. And Jesus did not say repeat after me (laughs) in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't say repeat these words. He gave a very specific command. The command was baptize them in the name of the Father. Father is not a name. But the Father has a name. He said, Baptize in the name of the Son. Son is not a name, but the Son has a name. He said, Baptize in the name of the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is not a name, but the Holy Ghost has a name. Praise God. I am a husband, I am a father. I am a son, but none of those are my name. They are offices that I hold. They are positions which I fill. They are titles ascribed to me, but none of them are my name. Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. When Jesus said, baptize them in the name, singular, one name of the Holy of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. One name applies to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. When Jesus said baptize them in the name, he meant exactly what he said. Now Remember, we started out by saying you got to have two or three witnesses. I pointed out just a couple of weeks ago that when it comes to repeating the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in baptism, there is not so much as one witness that it was ever done that way. And you got to have at least two to prove a doctrine. Doesn't mean Matthew 28, 19 is wrong. It means your interpretation is wrong. But I'm telling you that the way to interpret Matthew 28:19 is to say in the name of Jesus. Now, I also went through not one, not two, not three witnesses. But I gave seven witnesses that baptizing in the name of Jesus is the right way to do it. Acts 2.38, Acts 8.16, Acts 10.48, Acts 19.5, Acts 22 and 16. And then 1 Corinthians 1.13, where Paul said we ought to be baptized in the name of the one who was crucified for us. And Colossians 3.17, that says whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus that's seven witnesses where there's not even one that says we ought to be baptized saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right. But I've given you seven, God's number of completion, seven witnesses telling us that when you go down in water, you ought to speak that one name. Amen. Hallelujah. What does Acts 4 and 12 tell us? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is
1: There is
0: none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. 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 name. Philippians 2 verses 9 and 10. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Every name, every name, every name. It's above El Shaddai. It's above Elohim. It is above Adonai. It is above Jehovah. That name is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, not Father, not Son, not Holy Ghost, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And verse 11 says it, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now look, when you start telling me I'd rather obey Jesus than Peter, you don't have a clue what you're saying. Let me just remind you who Peter is, by the way, Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus said this to Peter
1: and I will give unto thee.
0: The... In fact, could you put verse 18 up there? I know I didn't give you a warning for that, but I just want to make sure everybody knows we are talking to Peter here, Matthew 16, verse 18. What does it say?
1: And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter,
0: thou art
1: Peter. Peter.
0: So I... he's talking to Peter, right? He's talking to Peter. Everybody agrees? He's talking to Peter. So what does he say to Peter? Verse 19.
1: And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom.
0: I'm going to give to thee. I'm giving to thee the keys of the kingdom. Now, let me just explain one thing about King James English. And I'm trying to get through this as quickly as I can. But in the King James English, generally speaking, if you see the word you, that's plural. In the South They would say you all or y'all. All All right? When you see the word you. But when you see the word thee, it's singular, it's speaking to one individual. All right? I will give unto not you. He wasn't speaking to everybody, but I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou, shalt bind thou and again that's singular not whatsoever you shall bind That's found in another place. But here he's specifically speaking to Peter. Whatsoever thou, Peter, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is what Jesus said to Simon Peter. And in fact, if you go back to the original and if you read it in most other translations, what this says is whatever you bind on earth will be as though it has been bound in heaven. In other words, I'm going to stand behind what you say. And he's speaking specifically of the keys of the kingdom. And he's speaking specifically of binding and loosing, of opening doors into the kingdom of God. And he said, Peter, whatever door you open, I want you to know heaven standing behind it. That's the man who first said, be baptized in the name of Jesus. The man who had the keys now let me ask you a question we dealt with this a couple weeks ago but let's do it again let me ask you a question it's not a trick question so the answer is very simple who wrote the book of matthew that was such a simple question i only heard two people answer it come on we can do better than that who wrote the book of matthew thank you this is not a trick question who wrote the book of matthew Matthew wrote it. So Matthew's the one who penned the words in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right? Man. Right? Wow. All right. So let's follow Matthew here for just a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse 13.
1: And When they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, mm. James the son of Alphaeus and Simon. Stop. Stop. Stop.
0: Bartholomew and... Everybody agrees Matthew was there on the day of Pentecost? Everybody agrees Matthew was present? Well, I want to tell you, Matthew wasn't just present. Matthew was involved in what was going on. Now, if Peter was contradicting the words of Jesus, Matthew's the one who wrote those words down. And if Peter was contradicting Jesus, Matthew should have run up and said, Excuse me just a minute, Peter. Um, that's not. Right, that's not what Jesus told us. And I know because I wrote down what he told us. So don't, look, don't mislead these people. You, you can't tell them something that Jesus didn't tell them. Matthew was there. But Matthew did not argue with Peter. In fact, he did something altogether different. Acts chapter 2 verse 14 says this. But Peter standing, but Peter, standing up with the 11. Who are the eleven? disciples who's a member of the disciples Matthew is so here's what I'm telling you when Peter stood up and started preaching Matthew was standing right there with him Matthew was agreeing with every word that Peter spoke when Peter said be baptized in Jesus name Matthew agreed Matthew was saying, that's exactly right, Peter. That's what Jesus meant when he said what he did. Listen, would anyone dare say the apostles gave wrong instructions to more than 3,000 hungry souls on the day of Pentecost? Consider what that would mean. It would imply that the inspiration that was imparted to the apostles was absolutely useless. Didn't do them any good because they messed it up anyhow. It would imply that Christ's personal instruction for more than three years including his 40 days of teaching after his resurrection, that all of that time was absolutely wasted because at the crucial moment when Peter was asked the question, how do we get saved? He gave him the wrong information. You're saying Jesus wasted his time. Saying this would mean that Luke 24 and 45 is an absolute lie. Let's read Luke twenty four and forty five. Then open he their understanding. Everybody agrees that what happened in Luke twenty four is before the day of Pentecost? Yes. Yes, sir. Two of you do? Does everybody agree what happened in Luke twenty four is before the day of Pentecost? The Bible says that God opened the understanding of his disciples. That includes Peter. It includes Matthew. The Bible says he opened their understanding. If you tell me Peter was wrong, then you're saying this verse is a lie. Peter didn't have his understanding opened. To say that Peter messed up at this crucial moment is to say that the anointing of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost was nothing more than a farce. I'm going to tell you, you you got to understand when you start making this kind of claim, well, I'd rather obey Jesus than Peter. What you're really doing is you are accusing Jesus Christ of having less wisdom and less discernment in the choice of his apostles than what the average businessman exhibits in the hiring of his employees. You tell me that a man's going to hire someone and specifically give them hands-on training, put them as his, his personal uh, 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 student and disciple for three and a half years. And then at the crucial moment, we find out he made such a bad decision that the guy tells everybody wrong. Surely you don't really believe that. Surely you don't really believe it. Listen to me. This goes so deep, this argument. And I'm telling you, saints of God, a lot of you raised your hand. You've heard this. You need to understand this. When that question is put to you, you need to turn the tables. Don't be mean. Don't be ugly about it. But you need to be firm in telling them that when you make that statement, you're saying a whole lot that you don't understand you're saying. See, if you're not willing to accept the words of an inspired apostle, then what are we going to do with this book? if Peter got it wrong maybe Matthew got it wrong if you're not going to accept the the words of Peter then, then let's also throw out first and second Peter while we're at it we're not going to take the words of an inspired apostle let's get rid of first second third John We're not going to take the words of an inspired apostle. Let's get rid of the book of James. We're not going to take the words of an inspired apostle. Then look, we might as well go ahead and cut out everything from Romans through Hebrews. Are you following me? You can't just say, I don't believe what that apostle said. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone when you reject the apostles you are rejecting the foundation first uh, I'm sorry second peter 121 says this second peter 121 is that in there
1: For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Didn't come by the will of man. But holy
0: men of God God spake spake as they they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, every word in this book is accurate. It's right. These men didn't mess up, they didn't make a mistake. If we're going to believe on him, we have to believe through the word of his apostles. I'm closing. Sister Becca, come. John 17, 20. I got a lot of scriptures. I don't have time for it. But, but John 17 and 20 says this. Neither
1: pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on, on me through their word.
0: We have to believe on him through their word. Let's skip down a little bit. First John 4, verse 6. First John 4, verse 6. John says this. We are of we, God. We, that is, we the apostles. John was in the same elite group that Peter was. And when John said we are of God, he was speaking of Peter as well. And he said we are of God. What?
1: He that knoweth. He that
0: us knows us God.
1: Heareth Will us. hear what we, the apostles
0: say. He that is not of he God. He that is us. not of God. Heareth not us. Now listen to me. This verse just said. When you say, I'd rather obey Jesus than Peter, you just identified yourself as not being of God. Did you see that? Anybody that will not hear the apostles, and Peter was one of those apostles, anybody that will not hear them is not of God. In fact, John went on to say this.
1: Hereby, we this know is how we know
0: faith. the spirit of truth
1: and, the spirit of, and the
0: spirit of error. When you get up and say, I don't want to obey Peter, you have just shown yourself to be under the influence of the spirit of error. Right, right, right. Let's go down to my last scripture here. I'm going to close. Uh, no, it's not my last one. But anyhow, it's somewhere down the line. I got... Way too many. Uh, let's close with this though. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Let's close with this. Galatians one and eight. Though we, or an angel from heaven, but though we or an angel from heaven, preach any other, preach gospel, any other gospel unto you, you then that than which, we, that which we have preached unto you, let, him be, let him be accursed. The apostle Paul said, "I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. If they preach anything different than what the apostles preached, let them be accursed." And the apostles preached baptism in the name of Jesus. Aren't you glad for truth today? Let's stand and lift our hands. Let's love the Lord together. Hallelujah. Let's love the Lord together.